We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friend at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. After more than a year in the COVID lockdown, we all have things we miss. With more and more of us getting the vaccine, we're getting more and more comfortable about doing things like seeing family and friends and getting outside. But what else can we do? This week on 880 In-Depth, we take a look at questions like youth sports. Well, I think that so long as youth sports are outside, I think that the risk is diminished. Many of us are also interested in, can we travel again? And can we do it safely? As long as you can do it responsibly and play by the rules and be situationally aware, uh, you have a reasonably good chance of uh, doing so in, in, uh, in a safe way. Climbing out of the COVID pandemic. What you need to know to do it safely. Welcome to 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880. And in a minute, we'll hear from one of the top travel experts in America, Peter Greenberg, the CBS News travel editor. But first, we wanted to check in with infectious disease specialist, our friend from Northwell Health, Dr. David Hirschwerk. Where are we today with COVID? In the next few months, we're going to experience, I believe, um, a much better um, situation with rates of transmission, and I'm sure more and more things will open up. But I think that there really are a lot of question marks and some bumps over the next several weeks, and you know we need to try to get through that time safely and get as many people vaccinated and continue to wear our masks and physical distancing and avoiding indoor crowds as much as we can until that time. More from Dr. Hirschwerk in a few minutes, but first, he's known around the world as the travel detective. We just know him as the smartest guy we know about travel and the travel industry, which is why I got on the phone with Peter Greenberg. Well, I've been traveling since last July, actually, uh, throughout the United States, then to Mexico, then to the Dominican Republic, over to Turkey, Croatia, uh, and, uh, and I'm continuing to travel. As long as you can do it responsibly and play by the rules and be situationally aware, not just of your own behavior, but of the behavior of the people where you're going, uh, you have a reasonably good chance of uh, doing so in in, uh, in a safe way. Anecdotally, uh, air travel is is up, right? The numbers are uh, are up again. They've been up for for weeks. Uh, are you seeing that? We are. You know, if you go back a year ago, the TSA was screening in some days only about eighty thousand people a day. Right now, we're on an average of about one point five million people being screened at U.S. airports every day, and that number continues to go up as more and more Americans get vaccinated. And you see the airlines, which were parking planes, literally in long-term storage at airports around the world, 
They're now unparking those planes, and in many cases, their entire fleets will be back in the air by the end of next month. We'll get to the cruise lines in a minute and what their hopes and dreams are, but let me ask about air travel. How are, are you able to accomplish that safely nowadays? Well, the actual technology about the airplane environment itself has always been very, very good. The recirculation systems on the plane, these high-energy filters, take out about 99.4% of all the particulates and bacteria. Uh, the reality, of course, is social distancing in an airplane cabin are mutually exclusive by definition. You can't widen the cabin, but you can protect yourself. I've, I fly with double masks. Uh, the idea of blocking the center seat is a lovely cosmetic approach. It's a nice marketing approach. But the actual separation between you in the window seat and the other guy in the aisle seat with nobody between you is still only two and a half feet, not six feet. And there's also the distance between you and your seat and the guy in the seat behind you, which is only maybe 14 inches away, if he decides to sneeze. So it's a matter of how you protect yourself. The air circulation bringing in new air every three minutes is, is a good thing. The key, though, is the behavior of the people once you get to where you're going. The, uh, the idea of a, of a uh, vaccine passport is something that is up for much debate, and you know, some of it related to the commerce. Uh, it makes sense in that, in that reign. Um, but with regard to equity, that's where some of the issues are. But what do you think about a passport, a vaccine passport? Well, it's become a, a very large political issue. However, it's really being driven not as much by governments as by the private sector worried about liability and giving passengers a sense of security. So you're going to see within the next three months that proof of vaccination, more likely in the form of a digital document, being almost a ticket of admission, a requirement, not just to go on a cruise or get to an airport, but go to the dry cleaner, the grocery store, the movie theater. Uh, that's what's really going to open the door. And what you're seeing in the cruise industry are more and more cruise lines making a demand and a requirement, not just of their passengers, but of their officers and their crew, so that everybody on that ship, 100% vaccination compliance with proof of vaccination, which ironically may make the cruise ships one of the safest places to be in the world. Uh, many of them are talking about, um, well, at least they're pushing uh, to try and get up and running um, in a big way later this summer. Do you think that that's reasonable? It's already started, but they're not waiting for the Centers for Disease Control. Remember, the CDC lifted their no-sale order last October, but they made it a conditional sale order that the cruise ships had to comply with about 75 different protocols and processes in order to get approved. But the, CA, the CDC has not been moving quickly on this. So what the cruise lines have done, if they're saying, okay, no problem, we're going to literally reposition our ships to foreign ports. We're going to home port them there. So if they're neither sailing from nor to a U.S. port, we're still going to abide by all the protocols and procedures that we agree to, 100% vaccination requirements, and starting almost within the next 60 days, you will see ships based in the Bahamas, Bermuda, Anguilla, Iceland, St. Lucia, uh, and overseas in the United Kingdom and in Greece. And they're going to start cruising with U.S. passengers there. Tell me about the cottage industry that has cropped up about testing, um, meaning that, you know, are there places when you're, you arrive at a destination or you're about to leave where you can get tests and that kind of thing? People want to know how hard it is to, to accomplish what they need to if they want to get traveling again. Well, many destinations and hotels and resorts have been very smart in realizing it's not what people are talking about, it's what they're thinking about. And what they're thinking about is, I don't want to go somewhere and get stuck and not be able to get back home. So as an incentive, 
a growing number of resorts and destinations are offering free COVID testing at the destination so that they're going to say to you, hey, come over. When it's time to come home, we're going to test you. Everything's going to be okay. Many of them have actually upped the ante and said, should you test positive, we'll put you up here for a quarantine at our expense for 14 days. And at least one or two of these destinations have upped it even further by saying, and then we'll fly you back home on a private jet. So they're sweetening the deal every chance they get to get people the security and comfort of wanting to go there in the first place. Peter, how badly has the hospitality industry been harmed by the pandemic? In terms of unemployment, it's the highest percentage of any sector. I include restaurants in that as well. We're seeing about 65 million jobs around the world being affected, many of which may not come back. Uh, So it's a slow return. Let us not kid ourselves. We're not going to get back to 2019 levels in 2021. We'll see a lot of domestic travel come back this year within the U.S., but in terms of international travel, that will slide into the middle of next year. Meetings and conventions may not even show up until 2023. So we have a long way to go, but the numbers are trending up. The the advanced bookings are looking great, uh, all relatively speaking. And uh, if people can behave responsibly, uh, there, there are opportunities now to travel and to do so safely. Peter, we're talking to each other uh, from blocks away here in, in Manhattan. Uh, how important is this rebound for the hospitality industry in locations like this? Well, it's essential. I'm speaking to you here in, in New York City. In New York City alone, we're talking you know, almost 2,000 restaurants that have closed permanently and may never reopen. Think how many jobs are affected, not just waiters and chefs, but suppliers and, and, and other services that support those restaurants. There's still a majority of the hotels in New York have not reopened yet. Some may never reopen. 34% of the hotels in America right now are technically in default on their loans, which means they're on the, on the border of a foreclosure. Now, the only thing that's saving them right now is the banks don't want to foreclose because what are they going to do with it? They're all hoping that an increase in vaccinations and common sense will result in the ability to reopen. But again, it's not going to happen overnight. It'll happen over the the next 18 to 24 months. Are you seeing uh, this city reawaken in places? Not yet. Um, In terms of dining, yes. Uh, you know, outdoor dining, of course, as we're getting into the late spring and summer months, uh, that will come back. Uh, everybody, of course, is waiting for Broadway. Uh, we, do, we still don't have a start date on that yet. Uh, but in terms of air travel, if you don't have air travel, you don't have traffic. And we're starting to see air travel come back uh, in a much more uh, meaningful way. Uh, not robust yet, but a much more meaningful way. And once that happens and people get their confidence up and they behave, then business will come back. Yeah, just a couple more things for you, Peter. When we see spring break um, video pictures from places like South Beach or, or in other spots where, you know, it's kind of scary to see uh, large crowds of unmasked people. How do, we, how do we get that message across that travel can be safe, that, that, that trips can be safe, that destinations can be safe, but then when you get there, you can't control who else is there? Well, I'm a big proponent of voting with your wallet. You know, I mentioned earlier that we've been reporting all over the world. I was in Mexico earlier this year, and in 90% of the locations, people were behaving very well. We were in one hotel in, uh, in Cancun where I saw 300 idiotic Americans, all not, none of them wearing masks, all within three feet of each other at a crowded bar. Uh, 
And you know what? The reaction is very simple. Do a 180, leave. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, you believe there is this great pent-up demand. You believe that uh, as we inch closer, and it, it is really literally week by week in terms of getting to uh, closer to herd immunity, uh, within a matter of weeks, if not months, this pent-up demand will have a place to, to, to go, no? Well, I not only believe in it, it's already tangible. We're seeing it. I'll, I'll give you an example just in the cruise industry. Uh, there's a cruise called Oceana. It's a, it's, a, it's a world cruise line. They put up for sale for 2022 their world cruise, about a 170-day itinerary with the cheapest cabin on that ship. It's about $41,000. The ship sold out in one day. Uh, about two weeks ago, Silver Sea put up for sale their 2023 Grand Voyage, a very high-ticket item, 180-day itinerary, where the minimum cost for a cabin, fasten your seatbelt, $74,000, sold out the entire ship in a day. So if that doesn't give you an idea of pent-up demand, I don't know what does. And you believe that safe travel can be accomplished? I'm, I'm a product of that. I've done that now for the last nine months. If you do so responsibly and you're situationally aware, more than just about what you're doing, but what other people are doing, yes, you can do it. Our thanks to Peter Greenberg. So how you feel about traveling may be tied to how you feel about where we are in this fight against COVID. Our Peter Haskell got on the phone with Dr. David Hirschwerk. He's an infectious disease specialist at Northwell Health and the interim chair at the Department of Medicine at the Zucker School of Medicine at Hofstra Northwell. Uh, so, yeah, the numbers that are in our area for the last several weeks have really plateaued. We were seeing a decrease, um, but we really have plateaued in that in the New York metropolitan area, we have anywhere between around 4 to 6% positivity rate on our daily testing. And there's a slight variation from day to day, but that is the range that we have uh, been seeing it. And that has remained fairly steady um, for quite some time now. Other parts of the country had continued to fall, although in many parts of the country, rates are also increasing. And if we take a look at a, the country as a whole and look at the community case numbers, we are up about 20% compared to where we were two weeks ago. Um, hospitalizations throughout the country are also up very slightly at around 1% to 2% compared to where we were uh, two weeks ago. So, um, you know, we are much lower than we were back in the winter, but we're still at a plateau and in some areas have uh, started to increase again. We hear a lot about these variants from a real-world perspective. What does this mean? So there's several different types of variants, uh, but by and large, they all have the ability to uh, spread more easily, so they are more contagious. Um, many of them are more deadly than the uh, standard strain that we had been dealing with for most of the spring and summer of 2020. Um, the good news for the majority of them are that they are able to be neutralized by the current vaccines that we have available. Uh, but because we still don't have 
uh, enough people vaccinated to say that we're at a point of herd immunity, we still have many, many vulnerable individuals in our communities who um, can become infected and with these variant strains are more easily affected. How long do you think this is going to take? At what point will you think to yourself, yeah, with the vaccines out there, I'm, I'm much more comfortable now? Yeah, so I think uh, the question of how long it's going to take before we get to the point of herd immunity really um, is going to be dependent upon a a handful of things, including the uh, ability for people to get access to the vaccine. And I think there's more and more good news about that. Uh, People that are 16 years old and older in the New York area now uh, have access to the vaccine. And that's going to be true throughout the country very shortly. Uh, But there's also uh, going to be the need for uh, people to feel comfortable and have the willingness to be able to accept the vaccine. Um, And once we get uh, some degree of immunologic protection, probably in 75 to 80 percent of our population will uh, hopefully get to the point where we are at herd immunity. And herd immunity, again, doesn't mean that uh, there's a disappearance of transmission. It just means that there's a significant uh, slow down in the rate with which the virus is spread. It's interesting to think back a year ago where a lot of people were scared to go out. Now people are desperate to get out. What kind of risks does this pose? Yeah, I think that uh, people are going out, and I think in uh, many instances it is appropriate that that happens. Um, I think that there's um, really proven to be great benefit of the vaccines. And we know that CDC recommended that people who have been vaccinated can gather in small groups um, without using uh, masks. So I think that's, um, you know, really good news. And I think is is based upon data. I think that anything that can be done outside is better than things that can be done Uh, inside. Um, And I think once you start to mix um, the people who haven't been vaccinated with people who have been vaccinated, that's when there's a bit more concern. Uh, But there are many environments still that it is okay to be be out. I think that, again, things that remain concerning um, are large indoor gatherings. We know that the virus is very contagious. It always has been. But with more and more uh, variant strains that are more contagious penetrating our area, if we have people in inside environments, especially with some crowds, and particularly those who have not been vaccinated, those are going to lead to um, more infections developing. How do you feel about eating uh, inside a restaurant, and is that something that you've been doing? Yeah, so eating at a restaurant, certainly it is safer to eat outside compared to inside. Uh, I think the thing that's different in a restaurant is that people are eating and therefore they're not wearing their masks. Um, I think that we don't, of course, know who in a restaurant has been vaccinated, who has not, or who has recently uh, been infected to allow for a lower risk of them Um, transmitting the virus so long as, again, they've been infected, uh, let's say, several weeks ago where they've cleared the virus and it's no longer an issue. Um, 
So I think indoor dining is, of course, opened up in our area, and the risks of transmission in a restaurant are naturally related to how many people are there and how close the seating is and the degree to which the ventilation is optimized. Um, it is opened up, and I know it's being promoted, but it does remain one of those uh, domains that I think there are still questions about and I think would still be considered a, a uh, setting in which the virus has uh, the potential to spread. Do you feel comfortable eating inside a restaurant? <laughs> well, I think that really the decision for anybody to eat in a restaurant has to take into consideration the restaurant itself and what it looks like inside and the time of day that you're there and how many people are in the restaurant. And whether somebody's vaccinated or not, other factors that may be considered are what somebody's underlying uh, health conditions are. The vaccines are excellent, but they're not 100% protective. Um, and there are going to be people who have been vaccinated who are going to uh, become infected. And we've seen that already. The good news is that those individuals, by and large, have not become severely ill uh, if they become infected after vaccination. And that may turn out to be the most valuable thing of these vaccines is that, yes, there are going to be some people who, despite being vaccinated, are going to become infected, but they're not going to be uh, made severely ill or require hospitalization or even die from the virus. And that is something that was seen in the clinical trials, and uh, certainly that has been seen in a real-world experience. The data from the TSA shows more people are flying. You know, I talked to people over the past couple of weeks. I know a lot of people have been flying. What's your thinking? Is, is that a good idea or would you wait? Yeah, I think that, again, it comes down to whether somebody has been vaccinated or not. And I think we have to recognize that rates around the country are um, not continuing to plummet everywhere. Um, there are pockets throughout the country where uh, rates are higher than others. And in general, as I had alluded to earlier, we're seeing about a 20% increase in community infection now compared to where we were uh, two weeks ago. If somebody is vaccinated, um, they probably are going to do fine when they travel. Again, there's no guarantees, but uh, the likelihood is that even if you become infected after being vaccinated, not going to become severely ill. And CDC has recently uh, suggested that people who are vaccinated fully, meaning that they've uh, past two weeks from their uh, second dose of the messenger RNA vaccine or two weeks past the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, those individuals can travel. It, the recommendation also went on to caution that essentially nothing is perfect. The um, rates of transmission continue to be elevated and vaccine, and, and I'm sorry, um, travel is an event that is associated with risk of uh, transmission. So I think all those things need to be taken into consideration. By and large, people are wearing masks on flights, which, again, uh, does not guarantee that there's no transmission, but it certainly helps to mitigate the spread. So I think somebody who's vaccinated, who is going to be on a flight with everybody else masked, um, you know, I think it is uh, certainly very reasonable, and I would not disagree with the CDC recommendations in that area, but I would also just uh, be sure that people are recognizing all the uh, potential risks associated with it. Just in terms of people trying to get out again, and clearly, as you've said, out, outdoors is better than indoors. 
What do you think about uh, either going to a ballpark or going to, say, see the Knicks or the Nets inside? And again, understanding vaccination is, is key, but is it a good idea or would you say wait for another month or two months or whatever? I think that um, anytime people can be outside is generally safe. I think that because of the ventilation uh, of being in an outside environment, it is uh, something that's considered to be safe. So uh, I think that is okay. Of course, it's better to be vaccinated than not, but in general, that is uh, safe. In terms of indoors, I think that the local uh, teams have done a very good job at setting up safety protocols. And, um, you know, I was at the Islanders game uh, and saw a great game on Saturday night. Um, as somebody who was vaccinated, I was able to uh, enter. Uh, I had uh, family who tested uh, in the three days prior and were negative, and everybody was wearing masks, um, and people were spread out. And, you know, I consider that to be a very safe environment. Um, and I think that because of all of those um, uh, steps were taken, uh, it created a safe environment. Uh, I think as time goes on and as we see community rates start to lower, then there'll be more people in the arenas than there were right now. But right now, uh, it's still a pretty small amount so that people can remain spread out. And of course, the question we really wanted to ask Dr. Hirschwerk. What concerns do you have about youth sports? Well, I think that so long as youth sports are outside, I think that the risk is diminished. I think, um, you know, there is close contact, but when people are outside, um, then like we have discussed in the past, just about anything you do outside is going to be safer than inside. I think that it's not so much the event itself, uh, it's really the um, crowding in locker rooms or on travel uh, of, of groups on buses. Um, that would be uh, situations that could uh, promote greater risk. There have been reports in some places, in some states, there's the belief that youth sports has driven uh, an increase of cases among young people. Have you seen that at all? Well, it's not something that I personally um, have been a part of looking into, so I can't really add much to that part of the conversation. And just one other thing in terms of what you are saying, are there younger people coming in sick now than was the case six months ago, three months ago, a year ago? Well, I'll say that young people um, in general have uh, fared much better than older individuals with this virus. They have been, in general, less likely to become infected. And if they do become infected, while there certainly are exceptions, most of them uh, don't become very sick. And there's a large percentage of them that will just be asymptomatic. That's changed a little bit with some of the variants where uh, kids do seem to be uh, infected at a higher rate compared to previously. Um, and then as we start to move up into young adults, uh, particularly uh, really those who have not yet been vaccinated, um, there is an increase among young adults and those who are in their 40s and 50s, who because of the vaccine rollout to date have not yet been vaccinated together with the fact that there are more contagious strains of the virus currently circulating in our area. 
880 in depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. I'm Tim Sheldon. Our thanks to Peter Haskell and our great guests, Peter Greenberg and David Hirschwerk. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search 880 in depth. Thank you, and as always, be safe. really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.